Hi, and welcome to The Strad Podcast. I'm Davina Shum, I'm a cellist, and I'm the online editor at The Strad. Violinist Carolyn Vidman has covered 1,000 years of repertoire in her latest album, L'Aurora, including works by Hildegard von Bingen, J.S. Bach, Isai, Enescu, and George Benjamin. Where do you start? We had a chat about what all these pieces have in common, including finding freedom within the form with such diversity of pieces. Carolyn speaks about the importance of singing in achieving free musical communication and how the different ways composers use musical notation can achieve surprisingly similar results. Have a listen. Carolyn, welcome to the Strad Podcast. Thank you so much for joining me here today. So we're going to be speaking about 1,000 years of solo violin repertoire in about 15 minutes. <laughs> so good luck. This is to do with your new solo album, L'Aurora, where you've included solo repertoire from Hildegard von Bingen to Bach, Isai, Enescu, to the modern day, George Benjamin. So first of all, tell me, how does performing works from different eras of the millennium inform each other? You're sort of having to jump through lots of different areas, right? Yeah, it's quite amazing, I have to say. Yeah, so we start with Hildegard von Bingen, that's over a thousand years old. It's not written for violin originally, but for a vocal line. So this is not really original violin repertoire, but in Bach, we start to have real violin repertoire. Of course, the language is very different from Isai or Enescu or George Benjamin, of course, who's uh, still alive and a composer of our time. But in the end, I felt when I looked at all this repertoire, in the end, it's all the same. And we human beings haven't changed. Our thoughts haven't changed. Our emotions haven't changed. But how we express it has changed. So, of course, it's a very different language to play a Bach and have shorter articulations than, say, a Isai, where a line can go over the entire page. But in the end, what moves us as human beings is always the same. Yes, it's music. Absolutely. Interesting that you said, uh, I mean, obviously the uh, von Bingham is not original violin music, but vocal music, first of all. So technically, how do you go about playing vocal music? How do you try and replicate that vocal kind of singing sound on the violin? Well, I think the most essential thing there is the breathing, the breath. When you hear good singers, how they breathe before they form a big phrase, it's the breath and then to have different high points in the phrase and low points and then take a breath again. It's this eternal breathing that I'm trying to replicate with my bow. I always say the right arm is our lung. You know, breathing out is the down bow, breathing in is the up bow. And that's the equivalent of what a singer is doing. So I was really trying to do that and breathe between the uh, phrases in Hildegard von Bingen. It's very strongly associated with the text, of course, as well. So when the text takes a break, I'm taking a breath like I would do when I'm singing. Yeah. It's almost like you're articulating the words, but through your bow and you're not saying the words, but you're having to replicate that as well. I always find it really interesting talking to string players about breathing and the bow as you say you know the bow is like your lung the bow mm -hmm. is like the breath the same way that a wind player or brass player would approach breath as well I know this is going slightly off topic but how do you try and communicate that to students that maybe feel a little bit stuck mm -hmm. in their technique you know how do you get them to incorporate the breath 
into their playing. Yeah, that's very interesting because I feel that so many young people are already inhibited to sing in front of me because mm -hmm. I think that is the real start of it, to sing even when nobody hears you, when you're alone in your room, but really sing it and breathe it and conduct yourself with your body. So I think it starts without the instrument. Okay, if you're too embarrassed to sing, to close your eyes and imagine the phrase and move your arms and hands the way it would with the instrument and to loosen up the entire body and to see the sound go through your entire body. The sounds so esoterical, but it really makes a difference if you do that. And yeah. then you just add the instrument. It's nothing foreign. It's all one, your body with the instrument, with the breathing, with the phrase, with the music. Yeah, it's like an organic manifestation of how the music literally moves you. I'm one Absolutely. of those people that when I was studying, I used to be really, really scared of singing in front of teachers. <laughs> of course. But you know, in order to loosen them up, I'm singing and I'm not a good singer. I just sing <laughs> loudly. It doesn't matter how wrong it is because it gives you the right feeling. So mm -hmm. I'm trying to be a good example at just losing <laughs> all fears and inhibitions because what is different when we have our instrument, then we're all of a sudden not inhibited, but it yeah. should be the same thing, you know? Mm -hmm. That's true, isn't it? It's, oh, it's often easier to sing if you just go for it. You don't have to worry too much about making a good sound or whatever, but if you On just the go opposite, for it. Be out of <laughs> tune, be ugly, but sing, sing, sing. I, I yeah. really, I, I'm a good example for that. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. So going back to these solo works for violin, and obviously we've mentioned that we're encompassing a millennium of music making. So what are some interesting discoveries that you've made on this journey of, of different eras? Uh, have you noticed any sort of trends or changes, perhaps an evolution in violin writing through playing these pieces? Yeah, it's really interesting because I'm always interested how you notate something as a composer in order to achieve something that sounds free. For example, with the Enescu piece, which is very rarely performed, I feel like, you know, when, when you go on YouTube, I think there's only one recording of it. Nobody plays this, nobody knows this. Gives you a freedom, therefore, because there's no performance tradition. Yeah. And he notates it very conventionally in three, four bars, four, four bars. But it sounds so free. And then there is somebody like George Benjamin, who's writing very meticulously all these rhythms and all the little details. But in the end, it sounds also very playful. So I find that so incredibly interesting how you notate something and how it comes out to the listener who doesn't know the piece. And the same even with Hildegard von Bingen, which is maybe the simplest, simplest notation you could imagine, not even bar lines. You know, just little angular dots on the on the paper and no dynamics, no bar lines, nothing. It's so bare. But what it gives you is the freedom. And I think we should really come back as artists to be free again. We are so often prisoners of the three, four has to be metronomical. We have to. But if you tell a story and especially if you're alone also with a violin solo, nobody tells me when the next downbeat is. I really enjoyed having this immense freedom and just taking it, taking this freedom. Yeah, that's very interesting, isn't it? It's because I think, as you mentioned from what you said, the ultimate goal is to have this freedom in our music making. And do you find that one needs to find a balance between having a, a very bare 
minimum score. And then having a score, like, for example, I've seen a lot of modern compositions where the score itself is a work of art, mm-hmm. isn't it? You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot to decipher and then a lot of extended techniques, which almost are like a choreography. Absolutely. You know, what's the sort of happy medium between having to do everything literally on the page to having nothing at all? <laughs> yeah, and it's so funny, Davina, because when I compare, for example, a Hildegard von Bingen, who writes nothing, the bare minimum, to somebody like Sinakis, Feldman or Fernihau that overly meticulously notate things, but the freedom, how it sounds, could be the same. You know, so isn't that interesting? And sometimes with a regular 3-4 bar, it's very strict. So you can achieve anything with very different methods, actually, in in notation. It's very interesting. And the next thing with freedom is, of course, also dynamics. Since I'm all by myself, I can go to the extreme fortissimo because I'm not covering anybody. And I can go to the barest, barest, barest pianissimo because I'm the only one. I can create the moment. And I really enjoyed that because it gave me so much inspiration to be free in all directions with the phrasing, with the timing, with the dynamics about everything. That was really an incredible experience. I mean, I have to ask you this question, but (laughs) what would you say is your favorite piece on the album? Ah, This is so funny because it changes every few weeks and months. <laughs> Everyone always says that. <laughs> but but I give you one constant, and of course it's no surprise that the Bach D minor partita, of course, is part of my life. And the Chacon, I feel, is life itself. It has everything that makes life interesting and tasty and sad and happy. And, you know, everything is in this piece. But also the Isai, also the George Benjamin. I think George Benjamin is one of the best pieces of contemporary music that we have for violin solo. The Isai. How can you, with one violin on four strings, describe a sunrise? By the end of the first movement, the sun is in all its glory up on the sky. And in the beginning, we are still in, in the dark. How can you describe this? This is such a miracle. Then the Inescu for me, a miracle how in 12 minutes you can create a story like this. Hildegard von Bingen, also for me, a miracle how a thousand years ago there was this woman composing stuff like this. So Mm. I have to say for every single piece, I have a huge passion. And this is why they are all on this CD, because I felt I'm too old to do things half-heartedly. Everything I do now has to be with full passion and conviction. And that's why I chose these pieces. Yeah, well well said. It's a bit of a silly question for me to ask to be like, because of course, you know, if they're going to be on your solo album, you're not going to include pieces that you feel, but meh about. <laughs> um, but of course, you know, I totally understand Partita and D minor. Um, well, timeless. That's a constant. There. That's a constant in my life and many other people's lives as well. It's not just yeah. me who loves this piece. <laughs> <laughs> but I wanted to ask you quickly, going back to what you mentioned before with notation. The way that J.S. Bach notates the D minor partita and the Chacon, you know, how do you find that that notation influences your interpretation? There's a very distinct kind of uh, really script-like way that he notates this. You know, how did that influence your playing? Yeah, I always compare Bach's handwriting with the painting of Van Gogh because Van Gogh, he had no straight line. 
everything, the, the sky is a moving organism, the water is a moving organism, a sunflower is a moving organism. And I feel the same way with Bach. If you see Bach's handwriting, you can't play it straight. Yeah. Um, of course, a partita is an accumulation of dance movements. And for a dance movement, I always say, you know that if you're young and you go to clubs, that it has to be predictable when to put your foot down. Number one, it has to be predictable. The downbeat has to be predictable and it has to be relatively regular and we need weight and lightness. So, and in between that, we are free. So yes, we have the order, absolute order in a three, four bar or in, you know, in whatever measure he chooses to take. But within the bar lines, we are totally free. So I always say it is really very strict and very formal and at the same time absolutely free for you to tell the story as long as you can follow the line it can't be anything random or sudden but you have to prepare it just if yes. you can conduct yourself then you're natural and good yeah nicely said yeah it's, there's got to be a destination and then you're either traveling to or traveling away in that sense absolutely that's it it's been absolutely fascinating um, hearing you speak about these pieces that you're very passionate about. So thank you for being on the podcast today. Thank you so much. It was a big pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> that was Carolyn Vidman. You can check out the details of her new album, Aurora, in the show notes. And right now you're listening to the Allemande from Bach's D minor partita, Timeless. Don't forget to head to our website, thestrad.com, to check out the latest news, articles, and reviews on all things to do with string playing. And if you like what you see and hear, register and subscribe to access exclusive archival content from 2010 onward. We've got 50% off an online subscription for students, and if you're not sure you're ready to subscribe, take out a free trial for seven days, start reading right away, with no strings attached. And if you happen to be on Apple Podcasts right now, give us a little review or rating. Thanks for listening and tune in again soon for another episode. Take good care. Bye.